Hello and welcome to the Mindful in Minutes podcast, a guided meditations podcast brought to you by Yoga for You. I'm Kelly, and today I'll be leading you through your meditation. So go ahead and get comfortable, settle in, and enjoy your meditation practice. Hello everyone, welcome to this freeform episode of the Mindful in Minutes podcast. So if you're looking for a meditation, you're not going to get it here. Um, this is a freeform episode. We do these twice-ish a month where we dive deep into a particular topic that is relevant to one of the meditations that we did. So on Sunday, um, I released a winter blues meditation. So today we're going to be talking about meditation, your brain, and depression and what's going on with all of that. So one little caveat, um, I will be talking about depression. Uh, really, I'm going to stick, you know, very granular, um, talking about the science of like what's happening in your brain during depression and also you know what changes in your brain with regular meditation but if this is something that's going to be upsetting to you don't put yourself through that just you know I hope you have a beautiful day and I'll see you at the next episode um so just wanted to kind of put that there right at the top I know I may also sound a little bit different um I'm actually using my old mic and I've kind of missed her but um and I am not in my closet so I had just a little bit of a I don't not a snafu um I just, you know, pork chop isn't feeling great, so he couldn't leave the house, which means it's, I couldn't record at home. I had to leave and record at my co-working space today. So I'm not sure if this will sound like vastly different, but uh, yeah, if it does, I apologize for that. I'll be back in the closet um, after this. So one exciting announcement, um, I have just released for um, pre-save the annual virtual New Year's Eve retreat. So I'm calling it the Ignite 2023 retreat. It's a three-hour event that you can do at your own pace to help you release the year behind and welcome in 2023. So within these three hours, there's an opening ceremony and energy cleansing, a guided meditation for release with an optional burning ritual, a slow, blah, blah, slow flow for inner harmony a yoga nidra practice for new beginnings with a mini sound bath a workshop on how to craft your soul's 2023 mantra um, a guided meditation using the mantra you craft a closing ritual and then bonuses um, the 90 minute guided 108 sun salutations practice and a playlist that i'll make for the retreat so i'll put the information in the show notes i would love to have you there it is just you guys know the new year's eve retreat it's like my favorite thing that i do all year long and i really like doing this virtual one as well um, it's pay what you can and it you can save it now it'll be instantly unlocked for everyone that has you know donated or purchased it um, on december 26th and it'll be available through january 7th so if you want to ring the new year in together with intention i would love to do that with you I feel like I need a breath after that one. I was kind of, I think I've been hitting the coffee a little bit too hard. I'm here, as you know, my co-working space, there's free coffee and, and your girl gets a little zippy. Okay, so let's talk about it. Meditation, your brain, depression. Let's talk about it. Um, like I said, if this is triggering or upsetting, just skip the episode. I'll see you next time. Second, I want to say that if you are struggling with depression, know that you are not alone. Um, please don't fast forward to what I'm about to say. 
I, I really want you to hear this, that no matter how you're feeling today, um, you just have to make it just one more day. And then the day after that, just one more day. I care about you. There are other people that care about you and love you. And if you need help, I want to help you and I want you to get help and start feeling better. So although I may not necessarily know exactly what you're going through personally, I have struggled with depression. I know how hard it can be to take steps to get help. Um, so I'm going to link two resources in the show notes. And if you don't find what you're looking for, um, or you just, you need more than what I've linked, um, feel free to send me an email or a DM on Instagram. I will do my best to help you in any way that I can. And also know that we are here for one another in this beautiful community. So thank you for listening to that. I really mean it. And, um, yeah. So last little PSA, I just want to, you know, make a note here. I know you guys all know this, but I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I am just a good old yoga and meditation teacher in a closet, not in the closet today, but almost always in a closet who likes to do research, who likes to learn how meditation can help people and improve their overall well-being and look at how meditation can be a great tool to use in conjunction with, um, you know, therapy, medication, whatever it is that, you know, professionals can provide to help you feel better. So although I have used meditation as a tool for depression, um, remember it shouldn't be used instead of help from a professional because I'm not a medical professional, friends. Remember, just a girl in a closet um, and mother to Porkchop and Mila. And I just, I try my best to educate myself on these topics. You guys know I love learning. I love science. Um, But if you've heard something else from a professional, go with that. They're the professional. Okay, I think that's all of my, of my PSAs. And you guys know this, like use your best judgment. You're all so smart. Um, you know, what you listen to on a podcast can be useful and it can be a great tool and it can be good information, but take what resonates and leave what doesn't. And always, especially with something like your mental health or your physical health, your emotional health, um, if you're struggling with it, you know, talk to a professional. I, I will never say that, um, you know, meditation is like the end all be all. I think it's such a great tool to use in conjunction with other therapies, other forms of healing, other treatment. And there's some really interesting studies that look at how meditation when used in conjunction with other things almost makes us like, you know, like doubled effect of how much better people can start feeling. And we'll talk about why. Um, but you know, even as a meditation teacher, I'm not going to say that, uh, you know, never, never use medication. It's, you know, just meditate instead. You need to do what's best for you and you need to make the decisions that feel good and right, you know, to you based on the information you have, the research you've done and you know yourself best. So meditation can be a wonderful tool and you kind of get to decide how you want to use it. Um, my personal favorite is to use a combo of uh, traditional therapy. You guys know I've talked about this all the time. Um, from time to time, medication and um, then using meditation as a way to kind of continually support my overall mental and emotional health and then using these other things um, at different times based on what I need currently in that life. So that's my personal favorite combination, but feel free to find yours. So we're going to dive right in because you guys know science is just 
the body is so cool. Science is really fun. It's, I think it's fascinating. And I did an episode on the anatomy of anxiety, and I think you guys really liked it. You've at least listened to it a lot. So hopefully that's because we're enjoying it. And in that episode, I really talked about um, what's happening in your brain when we're experiencing the physiological signs of anxiety and how meditation can help reverse that or, you know, kind of quiet those physiological responses to triggers that are giving us anxiety. So this time of year, and also speaking from my own experience, um, this time of year I know can be a tricky one with, you know, the winter blues is definitely a real thing. And I've been finding lately that my motivation has been low, which for me, and, you know, not just like low, but we're talking like real low. And that to me is usually kind of the first sign that's like, hello, ding, ding, pay attention. Um, spending a lot of time in bed, like anytime that pork chop's in bed, I'm in bed. Um, I'll be at sometimes working from bed and then just really kind of struggling to get daily things done. Those are like my two big like ding, 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 pay attention. You know, you might be headed in a direction that you don't want to go. So since I've been experiencing that, and if you live like in the Northern Hemisphere, if you live, you know, farther up North and it gets dark at like 4 p.m., it can be really hard. Um, Right now I was texting with a friend and I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't get back to you yesterday. You know, after about 5.30 p.m., I'm useless (laughs) because I just like don't have any energy or motivation to do anything. Um, So I figure if I'm going through it and I'm dealing with it, probably a lot of you are too. So I wanted to start with what happens in our brain during depression. So mental health conditions like depression, they can change your brain chemistry. Um, And I'm going to try my best to, there's a handful of studies and um, different articles that I pulled from for this. Uh, I'm going to link to them in the show notes instead of like, you know, calling them all out now. Um, But I did pull from some really great resources, so I will link to that. Uh, mental health conditions like depression, they can change your brain chemistry and the makeup of your brain. So although not everything about why your brain changes, you know, during depression is known, we do know that it does change. And of course, you know, with depression, it's kind of like a spectrum, right? Um, it's not, you know, a one size fits all kind of a thing. Um, same with the brain. Everyone's going to react to different things differently. But overall, these seem to be the main players within the brain um, when it comes to depression and um, signs, you know, that there's changes happening in the brain during depression. So it's believed that overall depression can lead to reduction in brain activity and in certain areas, uh, reduced mass over time. So some of the key players here is going to be the hippocampus. So this is a part of the brain that plays a major role in learning and memory. So it's an important part of our limbic system. And I feel like the limbic system is almost like this thing that maybe we could do a whole freeform episode on. I wasn't as familiar with it. Like I'd heard the term, but then for this episode, I kind of like got a little sidetracked and maybe that's just, you know, my ADHD, but kind of went down this like limbic system wormhole. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, But in a nutshell, the limbic system is the part of the brain involved in our behavioral and emotional responses. It is also connected to the amygdala, which ding, 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 if you listen to the anatomy of anxiety episode, that is the fear, pain, and anxiety center of your brain. So in a nutshell, the hippocampus in part controls emotional memory recalling and regulation. So, you know, plays a big role in our 
emotion and what is a big piece of depression is you know feeling down having these particular feelings these emotions so it seems that depression causes the hippocampus to raise its cortisol levels as well which can actually shrink some parts of the brain and cause the amygdala to grow and some studies show that people who are um, experiencing depression have decreased gray matter and mass in the hippocampus so quick spark notes version um the gray matter right like that's like the the density of the brain the mass of the brain and in a moment when we talk about how meditation changes the brain it helps to increase gray matter in certain areas of the brain so it physically can make those parts of the brain parts of the brain get bigger and heavier denser stronger it's because we're you know creating these new neurological pathways that are happening within these parts of the brain and but it seems with depression that certain parts of the brain can actually decrease in gray matter so if you think about the brain as a muscle um it's not technically a muscle but it'll work for this if you think about it as a muscle right meditation is like lifting weights and increasing the strength and mass in that particular muscle where when you're experiencing depression and this is like you know prolonged depression not like for a day um but you know kind of chronically in a way um it's like you are no longer lifting weights and the muscle will begin to atrophy or have decreased uh, gray matter in particular parts of the brain now the amygdala when that grows um what happens is because it's our fear pain worry anxiety center of the brain and it kicks off our fight or flight mechanism that when that gets bigger and stronger it means we're having bigger and faster physiological responses to anxiety triggers so meditation actually decreases the size and strength of the amygdala which is what we want um, and then you know spoiler alert it will help to increase um, the density and the gray matter in the hippocampus so uh, that. Yeah. And then cortisol, we know it is, you know, a stress hormone. Um, So raised cortisol levels can wreak havoc in all parts of our body, not just the brain. So when you have a cortisol influx caused by depression, um, it can, like I said, cause your amygdala to enlarge. It can increase its activity. So that means we're usually experiencing more pain, worry, fear, and anxiety, which no thank you. And since it helps um, control your emotions, Um, you know, any kind of damage or change to the amygdala can throw off your emotional balance. And you may experience kind of big mood fluctuations with this increased cortisol. You can experience, um, you know, both negative and positive emotions very intensely, kind of having this big, you know, big emotional swings. Uh, Increased cortisol can mess with your sleep. Um, It can also impede your digestive system, raise your heart rate. It kind of you know, it can wreak some havoc having that increased cortisol, um, which it does, studies do suggest that cortisol levels can raise in the hippocampus um, if you are experiencing depression. So our next key player is going to be our friend, the thalamus. So this is the part of the brain that takes in information from the senses with the exception of smell. And it also plays a key role in sleep and wakefulness. So this part of the brain has also been shown to be smaller in people who are depressed. So it can definitely throw off your sleep, which hello, depression is like a sleep destroyer in my personal opinion. Maybe you struggled to sleep. Um, I find that when I'm feeling depressed, like I'm in bed a lot, but I'm not necessarily like sleeping a lot or I have like disturbed sleep for some people, maybe they'll oversleep. Um, but it's very common to have like sleep symptoms with 
um, depression. So that's kind of coming from the thalamus. Next up, we have the frontal cortex, our good friend. So this part of the brain plays a large role in memory, emotions, impulse control, social interactions, and problem solving. So this one pretty consistently has been shown to decrease in size in those with depression. And again, it, it seems to be a lot of these parts of the brain that have to play with you know, your emotions, which makes sense because depression is a very kind of emotional thing. We feel it. We feel depressed. So it makes sense that the parts of the brain that are kind of these key players in, you know, emotion and um, interactions, things like that, that they're being impacted with depression. Then the prefrontal cortex, which you have heard me talk about before on this podcast, um, you know, it's going to make me sound like a total nerd and I own that. Uh, I happen to be quite fond of the prefrontal cortex. I just think it's really cool. And this part of the brain plays a key role in cognitive uh, control functions and dopamine, which when low can cause depression symptoms. Um, It can also play a key role in reasoning, problem solving, and perseverance. So this area tends to have lower activity in the brains of people who are depressed. Um, There's also this part of the prefrontal cortex, which I really didn't know a lot about, um, but it's called the MPFC, uh, the medial prefrontal cortex, and it's often called the me center because it's where you process information about yourself, such as worrying about the future and ruminating about the past. Um, You know, when people get stressed about life, the MPFC goes into overdrive, which this really resonated with me because... Like, I just, I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's it. Like, for me, at least when I'm feeling depressed, it's like, even though I have a hard time getting motivated, getting things done, there's still this like part of me that's always like, like worried and ruminating and being like, well, you need to do this. Well, why haven't you do this? Oh, you're, you know, you're so lazy. Get out of bed. Go do these things. Like, that just really clicked with me. Um, So, so yeah the medial prefrontal cortex. So a few other things to make note of or a few other kind of key players when it comes to our brain, our bodies, and depression um, is that like all of this, you know, full disclosure, it is an extremely, like the brain is extremely complex. And this is a very, like, very much a simplification of your brain and depression and what happens in it and what parts are affected. Um, You could get a full degree in this stuff. And I think it's important to note that these neurological changes may not look the same in everyone. So for example, some people may struggle, you know, to sleep. Um, Some people may feel like they're always tired and they're still oversleeping. Um, All of these changes, like different areas of the brain, may be affected differently for different people. This is just kind of generally um, what studies suggest happen with someone who has been experiencing prolonged periods of depression in their brain. So there's no test on this stuff, but basically, um, you know, if you were to take one thing away is that these certain parts of the brain that really have to do with emotion and memory and like perseverance and problem solving, um, sleep, these parts of the brain appear to be impacted during prolonged periods of depression. So on the flip side, after saying all of that out loud, because, you know, especially from someone who has struggled with depression, like, I'm not going to lie, reading all that, it sounds a little bit scary. It's like, oh no, there's all these parts of my brain that are being impacted. And it's, it's not something to be 
afraid of. It's also not anything to feel like ashamed of or bad about if you're experiencing depression. It's important to note that our, our brains are always changing and evolving. So, you know, if it's not, it's not like your brain was never going to change and all of a sudden you're experiencing depression and now all these parts of your brain are like getting so weak and losing gray matter. Like our brains are always changing and evolving based on what's happening within us and around us. They're always kind of in this constant, you know, change and, and flux. So I want to talk about now how meditation can help these things specifically. Um, Like I've said, there's so many different ways that you can work with your depression. Um, I really am only qualified to speak to how meditation can be a positive impact on your life if you're experiencing depression. So that's what I'll be touching on. All right. So meditation and your brain, the key players. You're going to recognize some of these. Meditation seems to impact the hippocampus. We just talked about that one. The amygdala. Talk about that one too. The prefrontal cortex and the frontal cortex. So pretty much every single part of the brain that seems to be impacted with depression um, seems to be positively impacted with meditation. So over regular time, regular meditation, which is usually, you know, when they say someone's had a quote, regular or consistent meditation practice, that usually is somewhere between eight to 12-ish weeks. Um, I'm going to link, when I'm linking my sources, to work that Sarah Lazar has done. She has a really popular TED Talk that you guys may have seen about how meditation can change your brain. Um, She's doing amazing work. A lot of the information um, that I'm going to be sharing in a moment comes from her. So over time with regular meditation, the hippocampus, the prefrontal and frontal cortex, they can actually increase in size, while the amygdala tends to shrink. So in a nutshell, you are able to reverse some of the shrinkage or prevent some of the shrinkage that can happen in these key areas of the brain when you're depressed, like the hippocampus, prefrontal cortex, frontal cortex. Um, And you also can kind of quiet the amygdala, the pain, worry, fear, anxiety center of the brain. So again, if you think about your brain as a muscle, the more that you lift weights, the stronger that muscle becomes. Um, And then the more that you kind of neglect that strength or neglect lifting weights or neglect that muscle, um, it may become weaker and atrophy. So think about meditation as the weights that you're lifting to build strength within your muscles. And it's not always about, you know, oh, I'm, I'm depressed. I must have lost this, you know, density in my brain. I need to meditate all the time and make my brain like super big and buff. Um, I like to think about meditation, like I said at the top of the episode, as this like, consistent thing that you can do like you know it's almost like this safety net so if I am continually taking care of my mind through meditation it helps as like the safety net to continually be building and maintaining the strength of my mind and the the density and the activity of the mind that I've built so when I do experience these um, you know times of of depression whether it be when I experienced Um, some postpartum depression, but I actually um, experienced more postpartum anxiety, which was interesting. Um, You know, so that was definitely a phase now more recently, um, kind of just the time change, the seasonal changes seem to be, you know, getting me a little bit more than usual for whatever reason this year, um, that I have this strength built up. And it makes it for me personally, um, it seems like I can sometimes recover and bounce back from these times um, a little bit faster or easier than in the past when I've experienced it before I really was dabbling 
and practicing regular meditation. I also feel like I have more tools in my toolbox, which I'll talk about in a moment, um, for how I can use meditation during these times, which will happen. Um, So like I said, meditation, it can help to increase the density of those areas that seem to decrease in size during depression. But there's some other ways that meditation can help with depression as well, not just about kind of changing the brain and reversing some of the changes that can happen with depression. So some of these other ways, um, meditation can be really useful in teaching you how to reframe your thoughts. So for example, my therapist, as you guys know, I've mentioned this before, she taught me, is it a truth or is it a thought? Uh, So for example, a depressive thought that I may have is I'm so lazy, I'm worthless, I can't get anything done. Uh, But that's not actually a truth. That's just a thought. So meditation teaches us how to be an observer of our thoughts and be able to separate these thoughts from the truths so that we can reframe them and kind of look at what we're thinking and what we're experiencing objectively as an observer and not feel like we're so kind of like stuck in the middle of it. Um, Meditation, like I talked about, it can, you know, combat the changes in your brain. And then it also helps to quiet those intrusive thoughts and allow you to pinpoint your emotions. So when we're practicing meditation and we get distracted or we have an intrusive thought, which will happen, you kind of just, you're being trained to have these intrusive thoughts and be able to let them go and return to your meditation. Then another one pops up, let it go, return to your meditation again and again. And then that's something that we can then have in our toolbox. So if we're having these kind of intrusive, depressive Um, thoughts come into our mind, we can do the same kind of like just, you know, recognize, release, return. Um, So meditation is very much training for how we do that in our everyday life. Meditation has also been shown to lower cortisol, uh, which like I said, has a big impact on sleep and digestion, worry, stress, kind of everything. And it can help you develop mental resilience and possibly combat future depressive episodes like in the future. So again, it's kind of building up that uh, mental strength and it can, you know, kind of keep the mind healthy and strong and alert, um, which may kind of help you in the long run. Uh, when, you know, working with depression, because I can't, I can't speak for anyone else. But for me personally, like I I will have, you know, moments or I'll have seasons in which I will be struggling with depression or depressive thoughts. um, And then there'll be somewhere I won't. And it doesn't happen often. But when it does happen, um, you know, it's certainly not pleasant. But I am glad that I have these tools in my toolbox, so it can kind of help you build up that resilience, um, kind of for like, the long, the long run. So specifically twin meditation or loving kindness meditation seems to be really great for depression because it helps to cultivate feelings of self-compassion and empathy and to connect emotionally in like a loving, caring way. So I have found this style to be particularly beneficial for depression. Um, just kind of a tip there. Then guided meditations that are specifically for like happiness and compassion or depression, like the winter blues meditation I just released, that can be really useful because you have a guide who, you know, has already kind of done like the heavy lifting for you in a way and created this practice. And if you struggle with, um, motivation and, you know, building these new habits, remember that, you know, 10 minutes a day is enough. So it doesn't have to be long and just hitting play on a guided meditation. Like you don't have to do anything else. You can just like hit play and then spend those few minutes um, doing that. But that can be a really useful tool as well. So a couple of 
uh, what I put in my notes here, non-professional tips, and then in parentheses put kind of my opinion. Um, just from someone who has experienced this, these are just my thoughts and my tips if you're experiencing um, depression as well or you just find that this time of year is hard. Uh, the first one is start small. So remember 10 minutes a day of meditation is enough to get these benefits. It's I really struggle with motivation at times when I'm feeling depressed. And so like even little things can feel like this big, heavy lift. So being like, okay, just 10 minutes. That's it. Just, you know, however many minutes you have in a day, I'm not going to do the math really quick. Um, just 10 of them. That's it. Like that feels doable. Um, I have found that the first 10 or the last 10 tend to be kind of the easiest for people to stick to, but do it whenever you can. If you feel inspired to meditate at 10 a.m. in the morning, do that. I'm um, thinking about meditation as kind of the long game and not a quick fix. So again, this continual mental maintenance that you'll be doing not only for your current depression, but to build some resilience against, you know, potential future depression too, I have found really helps. Um, also telling someone how you're feeling and asking for help. I know that sounds cliche, but it's kind of cliche for a reason. Like it does help. So letting people know you have like a good friend that you can trust or a family member. Um, I don't know your pet, like just telling someone speaking out loud, being like, this is what I'm feeling. And this is what I'm experiencing sometimes can really help. And then also asking for help, which absolutely can be really hard. But if you're struggling, like you may be surprised at who's willing to kind of help uh, help you or help, you know, take some things off your plate. Um, there may be more people around you than you realize that love you and want to support you in this way. Uh, for me, remembering that I don't have to do everything, especially in those times when motivation is hard, that it is okay sometimes to just do the bare minimum. I think there is something so deeply ingrained in me to be resistant of feeling like I'm doing the bare minimum. It's my own internal struggle that I have. And I have to remind myself of this a lot. Like it's okay to not always have to do all the things all the time. It's okay to just do the bare essential sometimes. And if the best I can do that day is like the bare minimum, that's fine. Um, be gentle with yourself. Look at how you're framing this depression in your mind. Uh, I think about this. Uh, one of my delivery nurses actually said this, um, you know, with like postpartum depression and stuff. And she, well, without getting too graphic, um, you know, she was explaining how, you know, what had just happened to my body. Again, I won't necessarily go into details. Um, maybe over on Meditation Mom, I will, but not here. But she was basically saying like, you know, there's like an expectation that your physical body is healing from something, you know, traumatic like birth. But you have to also like, if you look at your mental health kind of in that same way, like for example, if you had a broken leg, you wouldn't expect yourself to like wake up and go for a run every day. So you need to be realistic and gentle about your reality, whether it be with your physical body or with your mental and emotional state as well. And to give yourself time and space to heal and to honor like what that reality is. And I found that to be really powerful because I was like, oh yeah, like that is true. Like if I had a broken leg, I wouldn't be like, well, gosh, Kelly, like you're so lazy because you aren't like running on this broken leg. And to me, like having that same kind of like softness and kindness with myself of being like, okay, like this is definitely not ideal. You know, I'm feeling this way. I'm struggling with motivation or I'm, you know, feeling this, like trying to like force myself to do something that probably isn't great for me at that moment is not going to be beneficial. So taking that same kind of mindset 
um, to my mental and emotional health as I would sometimes my physical health has been helpful for me. I'm also looking at what can you take off of your mental load immediately? I've been thinking a lot about, which is, I don't know, a little bit of an oxymoron, but I've been thinking a lot about the mental load, um, especially, you know, being a mom, the mental load has really increased. And around this time of year, the holidays, it's like really, really increased. And just all, and mental load, if you're unfamiliar with it, is like just kind of the thought, like, so for example, for me, the mental load is like all of these little things that I'm always kind of thinking about and planning and actually being like, oh yeah, I need to make sure that I'm ordering Mila more kibbles and I need to make sure that I made pork chops, whatever pediatrician appointment. And I have to make sure that I email this person back and oh yeah, like this deadline is coming up. And then I need to make sure that I get the mortgage check in the mail on this date. It's like all of these kind of little things and oh I have to check in with this person and see what day we're doing Christmas cookies or whatever it is right it's like this mental load so it's not actually like doing these tasks but it's kind of keeping them all together and having them like float around in your mind and being this like constant stressor um so what can you take off of your mental load immediately can you delegate you know getting the dog more dog food to someone else can you set it up on an automatic shipment I don't know um but looking at like what mentally like what do you have on your plate and and what things can you outsource or remove immediately um I if I moving my body even if it's just a little bit uh can I always feel better after so I don't always feel great like dragging myself out of bed or whatever it is to move my body but I always feel better after even if it's just a little bit and then also considering therapy I have found talk therapy um, you know, this isn't a better help ad by any means. Um, but I do, I mean, I do use it and I find it to be helpful, especially cause it's like video chat, um, which works for me. I can fit it in, but that's something that I've consistently done, um, is therapy. And I, I, I personally find it to be really helpful. So it may be something to consider and that's it. Those are my just non-professional personal opinion <laughs> tips on when you're really in a slumper. And I hope that, you know, you learned something from this episode. I hope that it helps you. And again, this is all my non-medical, non-professional thoughts and ideas. So take what resonates, leave what does not. I will link to resources um, and these studies that I mentioned in the show notes. And just know that I care about you and I am sending you a huge hug. And I hope that you find little moments of joy. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get to see you inside the Ignite the 2023 virtual retreat. So thanks for listening and being a part of this community.